views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of Relay Fair Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Martin. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Did you have your very particular set of skills? Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! Top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. And Truth Time with Pastor Monty's broadcast is a part of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRN. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpbx.org where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and uh, across from me is uh, Pastor Josh. What's up? And we are going to be continuing our discussion. We'll pick Basically, we'll pick up where we left off last week, uh, first in Second Thessalonians, and secondly, talking about relationships. So let's jump into Second Thessalonians uh, in the Christ Factor. Now, last week we ended up our discussion basically talking about the. Uh, some of the fascinating things that are happening in regards to the temple and that the temple has to be reconstructed in order for the lawless one in order to enter into the temple uh, and see himself as as uh, god he needs there needs to be a temple and and so one of the things that believers should be watching for is the uh, construction of the temple and uh, and what I, w- uh, what I left off last week was talking about was that the, uh, the construction techniques have changed so much. And, I mean, it's uh, in the city of Portland here, there's just construction all over the place. And it amazes me how quickly um, buildings get put up. Hey, we're, we're getting a message from uh, Lucy Brown saying there's no sound. Is that true, Producer Jasmine? it's quiet on the Mevo, so I'm not sure if they just can't hear it too quiet or what. But I can I'm listening through the Mevo headphones and I can hear it. Okay. So I guess we keep going. Okay. So yeah, Lucy kind of keep us uh, updated if uh, you're still having a sound problem and it's not coming through. I'll t- I'll try to test it live on my end too. Okay, sounds good. So we are uh, we were talking about uh, the importance of just understanding that the the um stuff that's happening in regards to construction these days is uh, amazing and that they can put together stuff just rapidly, rapidly, rapidly stuff like that. 
so one of the things that as believers, when we take a look at uh, uh, trying to understand when the Lord is going to return, that's one of the things that needs to happen, is that the temple has to be rebuilt. And because what will happen is that not only will they rebuild the temple, but then uh, they will, uh, Israel will reinstitute <coughs> blood sacrifice uh, as a mechanism for the sins of Israel, according to the Old Testament, to be dealt with. Up to this point, and Josh alluded to this last week, up to this point, um, after uh, the fall of the temple uh, under Nebuchadnezzar and then subsequently the rebuilding under Herod from from that period, um, once the Ark of the Covenant was missing, much that happened in the temple became symbolic uh, for Israel. And with the destruction of the temple in AD 70, in particular by the Romans, the temple no longer existed. Right. So the way that the Old Testament is set up or the way that God is appeased in the Old Testament is through blood sacrifice that happens in the Holy of Holies uh, via the high priest. And those that sacrifice has not been happening for a thousand years. Now what, so, the, so part of what has to happen then is that um, there needs to be, okay, so <laughs> it, it's a little bit complicated because not just anybody can be uh, a priest. You have to be Levitical. You have to be um, a, uh, a, a son of Levi, and, and, and you have to be able to trace your heritage to show that, that you are along that line. And I don't believe wrong, but with the scattering of the Jews, the destruction of the temple in AD 70, the scattering of the Jews, and the mixing of the clans, I think it would be very hard for somebody to be able to claim that they, that they uh, legitimately could represent the priesthood. Okay, we keep having our audio working on it hmm. <coughs> yeah i mean i can hear the audio like when i turn the audio up i can hear it like on my phone or whatever at least yeah i can i can hear it tiffany's streaming it and she keeps saying the audio cut out on the mevo not so much but we're getting some static it's not as bad as nice working on it okay well Sorry, uh, hopefully the recording will be okay, and we'll just, we'll keep going. Um, yeah, if you're watching, I know we have a few viewers, stick with us, please, and we'll try to work it out. Um, but, yeah, well, so there, so going back to your question about, uh, or your, your thoughts on the Levites, right? So there is a type of, they're called Ashkenazi uh Jews and a lot of them are believed to be from the tribe of Levi because Levi was such a very specific um like they were more set apart than the than the others right and right. so they were they're able to keep their line um but I'm just like really quickly looking like let's see in modern times Levites are integrated into Jewish communities 
They keep a distinct status. There's an estimated 300,000 Levites among the Ashkenazi Jewish communities and a similar number among Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews combined. So that's where we're at. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So that's kind of where we left off. And the Apostle Paul, then he, so he's... Can I point out something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, David made sacrifices in the temple. He's not Levite. And then you also have, um, who else was it? Uh, what was it? From my reading of, of the Old Testament, Josh, David did a lot of things. God cut him a lot of slack. Uh, well, that's my point. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, th- those are parameters for very specific things, but God isn't really bound by that. No. So man is bound by that, but God isn't. That's well, my in point. the first place, my, my point is, is that in the first place, the... The necessity for the uh, condition of man to be dealt with through blood sacrifice was taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Yeah. So, but not before David. The, so the the Jews, when they tried to come before God through the keeping of the law and the sacrifices, they basically are coming to God under the Mosaic law. And as believers, we are not under the covenant that was established under Moses for the people of Israel. We are under the Abrahamic covenant. And all I got to say is, you know, and it's between God and David, but it seems to me David was cut a lot of slack. Yeah. Well, we all are. But the point I'm making is you can, the point I'm making is you don't need the Levite priesthood to have right relationship with God. I'm only furthering that point. Obviously, the temple itself was always meant to be a shadow, as I think it's the book of Hebrews talks about. It's a, it's a shadow temple. It's a shadow of what uh, it is to worship God in, in heaven. So it's not... Um, Producer Jasmine, can you give us some lights, please? Uh, it's not what the... Um, it's not the actual temple. So. Right, right. We need so, to get you like a little book light or something. For or something, right, so that I can at least see the lettering. Now that it's larger. I'm telling you, you could just use a tablet. I'm sure I could. Um, it's okay. backlit. So um, we're in the we're in uh, Second Thessalonians. We're in Chapter 2, and it's in Chapter 2 that the... Apostle Paul is reminding them of these things. And then, so he's been talking them about the man of lawlessness. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, Do you not remember that while I was with you, um, I was telling you about these things? And you know, uh, and you know what uh, restrains him now. So he's talking about the man of lawlessness. You know what restrains him now uh, so that... In his time, he will be revealed. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work, and only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So let's stop there for a second, um, because I just want to go over a bit of, uh, again, End time theology. Okay. 
and address kind of what, at least my take on what the Apostle Paul is saying here. So um, we are more and more surrounded by evil. And Satan is alive and well in the world around us. And when it comes to when Christ is going to return and how he's going to reveal himself, there's some contention amongst theologians as to whether um, he's going to come uh, prior to the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation is over. So those are the three dominant positions that people take. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib is what they're called. There is a fourth one. Well, yeah, I mean, that's tribulation's a big deal. I think it's it's generally those, if you want to get into the terminology that's, like, common nowadays. I don't know how it was when you were, you know, doing seminary or whatever, but um, the common theology nowadays uh, is around the millennial reign. So it'll be, like, pre-millennium. Reign, right. Yeah, pre-millennium, a-millennium, post-millennium. They usually don't use tribulation anymore. I don't know if they did at one point, but... Well, I mean, they did to the extent... There's always been some discussion about the millennium, but the 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 reality of it is is that the the tribulation is the seven year period right that that precedes the the coming of Christ right and so there has to be some understanding uh, as best we can from scripture of what's represented there i I merely bring this up because because what my my take this is my take on on and there's you know, there's lots of discussion in theological circles as to which one it can be. Um, I've stated before, and most of you know, jokingly, I say that, you know, the fourth option is pan-trib, because it, it'll all pan out eventually. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the reality of it is, I believe that uh, it's mid-trib um, that we will see a portion of the tribulation begin as Satan becomes stronger, and the the only thing that holds Satan back to this point is uh, the Holy Spirit. Okay. And and it, the Apostle Paul here talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn, which will allow the man of lawlessness to have full reign. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean. Let me look at that in the text because I don't remember it saying that the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn. Well, it's saying that which restrains. Right. Well, there's restraints on there. There are. Res- this is important to note that uh, internally within Christianity, there's a discussion about this. Yes. So it's not like like uh, Christians. They they believe in certain tenets. You know, Christ uh, died and uh, was born of a virgin, died, rose again on the third day for our sins, so on and so forth. But then there's things which we consider to not be um, central to Christian faith and eschatology, except for that Christ will return, isn't really one of those things. But um, Right, we know for sure that Christ is going to return. How and when, we don't have a really super clear picture. Right, but yeah, I'd, I personally don't read the idea that the Holy Spirit will be removed. I don't, I don't really see that. I don't really see a justification for that. Okay, and what I'm seeing here is that uh, that which restrains... 
the lawless one will be removed, and the lawless one will be able to have full reign. I, I mean, I think that and you... And the only... And, the, by, and so by extrapolating that, it's, I, I personally see that what that means is, is that the Holy Spirit will be removed because it is the Holy Spirit who restrains uh, Satan from going further than he does. And, well, I mean, and it's an extension of that is the Holy Spirit is embodied in the church, therefore the church will be removed. I think you could say that the church would be removed. I think that that would be, I think that that could be that. But then you also have to look at, say, um, the, you have to look at Satan's relationship with Job, for instance. Okay. Right? So Satan had this relationship with Job and God where Satan wanted to persecute Job and he was restrained by God. Right. Right? So the Holy Spirit is God. Right, but the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet is the point I'm making. The Holy Spirit wasn't bestowed yet, wasn't left yet in Christ's absence. So like But here he is. Right, but the point I'm making is that God, the Father, is the one who's depicted as the one who restrains the devil. So, I Well, in the Old Testament, as an understanding of how God operates, yes, that could be asserted when we look in Job. However, remember that in the New Testament, we see the revealing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the Spirit is present because Christ has left. The, the point God I'm tells making us is you in can't John 15 that Christ tells us in John 15 that he has to leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. Right, right. And But I, let's look at Colossians, for instance, where you see it saying that Christ is the thing, the is the glue of everything, right? He's what right. holds he everything, holds everything together, together, right? Yes. So again, Colossians chapter one. So now you see, so now you see the Father in in the Old Testament, and you see in the New Testament Paul talking about Christ being the one that holds everything together. In fact, it, it, interestingly enough, that's an eschatological passage where he's talking about you know everything being held together and everything being reconciled to him. So you see Christ, you see the Father, you're asserting the Holy Spirit. I don't disagree with you, but I can't fathom how any of those three could be removed from creation. Well, and I can to the extent that in order for, so during the last, so and, what, and, what and is, I don't, and I don't see the need to because it's not in the text. Well, what is believed is that the tribulation period lasts seven years, three and a half of that. Yeah, that's actually in the text though. Three and a half of that will be that Satan will have full reign. The only the, the yes. man of lawlessness will have full reign. The only way that he can have full reign is that the Holy Spirit is removed. The only way that the Holy Spirit will be removed is if the church is removed because the Holy Spirit embodies the church. Well, how? Okay, like go back. Like we go back to say um, the Olivet Discourse where Jesus says. In the end of days, essentially, it will be as it was in the days of Noah, right? Okay, so we look at the Olivet Discourse, and then we look at the New Testament where it talks about the man of lawlessness, and he is going to usher in this period, which, which by man's perspective seems pretty good, honestly. 
um, with, you know, like full-on actualization of self or whatever, you know, and there'll probably be a one-world government and one-world money and, the like, all of these things, right? Certainly there are people in place today that are trying, trying to, to make, make that, that happen, happen yes. right? So, so when we, but when we look at the Old Testament, we see such a huge, such a huge wickedness that was happening, um, even past Noah, but but such a huge wickedness that was happening that God decided that he was going to wipe out the earth and essentially restart it. So, which again is eschatological, um, it's a end times uh, preview. Yeah, I, my, my take on the Noah passage has more to do with Jesus referring to the days of Noah, has more to do with, I, I believe, uh, is uh, talking about the unnatural um, relationship that exists between creation and uh, and Satan and the uh, and the, the the angels. Oh, and you think? Yeah, I understand. You think that it's like the passages in regard to the Nephilim. Well, to the extent that so, what would be similar today? How could we say that the witchcraft things, things will be similar? Yes, the the societies not, well, not just witchcraft. Well, society assassination with the uh, occult. Well, progressive Christianity, the God within, all of it, so on and so forth. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. The point I'm making is it's not the first time that we've seen that happen, but not to this degree. Well, of course it won't. Well, uh, well, maybe actually, right? Because what we had before the flood, w really before Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, was a one-world localized society. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. But not, but what we didn't not to the extent that we are today. What we didn't have was the full number, according to Scripture, of the elect. Right, and we couldn't have had that because. Uh, the seed of the woman hadn't been born yet. Right. So until we had that that uh, restoration for you know that reconciliation to take place, God's plan hadn't been fulfilled. But I think that it's possible that essentially you had you know man at man at his height. The point I'm making is you can have it without the Holy Spirit being given, and I think you can. I don't. I don't think that the I don't think that the Holy Spirit um, or the church plays a significant role in holding back the forces of evil from taking on this world. I think it plays a significant role in claiming the elect. Okay, okay. Well, and uh, I mean, we could have more discussion about that from the standpoint of the, the Apostle Paul was trying to address issues that the church at Thessalonica were wrestling with. Clearly, escalation catalogical issues. Right. Where they were Everyone trying, was wondering when the end's They were come. trying to understand when Christ was going to come and what should they watch for in regard to Christ's coming. Right. So mm -hmm. when we look at these passages, we have to look at them within the understanding that that was why he was writing them. Right. And, and while there is, uh, from a theological standpoint, there is a certain amount of uh, speculation that is uh, allowed here. Um, we do need to be careful about how we approach it. So I and so you know, like you have stated, 
there's nothing I've said that you would argue with me over, but it's it, it falls within the realm of possibility. But we want people to be clear that that this falls into that area. We don't know for sure. Yeah, well, and it's not it's not in the text. It doesn't say in the text that the Holy Spirit will be removed. No, it doesn't say that, but it does say that he will be uh, moved out of the way. The, the, that which restrains will be moved out of the way. Right, and so I think that that could be read a number of different ways. One of them could be that you know the Holy Spirit will do that. But, I mean, you see that also with uh, judgment in general, especially in the Old Testament, where God calls and calls and calls for people to repent they don't and then he essentially gives them their full amount right so i i i don't see it meaning the holy spirit will be removed okay i do yeah either way something will happen at the three and a half year point of the tribulation well yes definitely so um in continuing the uh what he states there he says then that lawless um, one uh, will be revealed whom the Lord uh, will slay with his breath and his mouth will bring uh, to an end by the appearance of his coming. Uh, that is the one whose coming is in uh, accord with the activity of Satan, which all power and all signs and false wonders and uh, with all of the deception of the wickedness for those uh, that will perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth uh, so as to be saved. Mm -hmm. So part of what is being talked about here is, is, is that it's not, like, it's not like those who are wicked uh, don't know uh, what the claims of the gospel are. Right. They've chosen to reject. Right. They've chosen to reject truth. Well, as Romans 1 says, they suppress the knowledge of God. Right. Yeah. And here, the NLT maybe is a little bit easier to understand from the NASB. That's NASB, right? Yes. But um, generally, I like NASB, but for this, it's a little bit easier. They say, it says in verse 10, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So, again, there, it's really clear the implication is they understand the truth. They just don't want the truth. So what it goes on to say, though, is that for this reason, God will send upon them uh, a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged uh, who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. In and we see other places in Scripture where it says specifically that, that God... Um, well, the Apostle Paul, for example, when he gives correction in uh, 1 Corinthians um, to the uh, man in the fellowship that was uh, in sin, yeah. uh, in an incestuous, adulterous relationship with his mother-in-law. So the Apostle Paul said, command him what God's word has to say and then turn him over to his wickedness that he might be saved. Side note, do you think that that the that that relationship in Corinthians in both first and second Corinthians is you think that's accurately described as incestuous well obviously it's incestuous since it's within the family unit interesting yeah well because she's she's not his 
she's not his biology. She's not his biological, but is within the family it's, unit. Well, I think the scripture is. I th- what I'm asking about is, I think the scripture's um, implication of incest there is actually with the father. Like you're exposing the nakedness of your father. That could be. That could be. I use the term incestuous. I mean, in, that would be incest in but the broad sense. Yeah. Of what's taking place in a sexual manner within a family unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that case, this would be included there. But the point is, is that the Apostle Paul said, turn him over to his yeah. sin that he might be uh, given into it. And and uh, the purpose was to drive him to repentance. Right. Well, it wasn't turn him over without context. Right. It was, we want you to, it was a call to repentance. Right. And then you, you go do what you're going to do. Kind of like Jesus telling Judas, like, Go do it. If you're going to sell me out, go do it. And the same, so we see the same thing in the first part of the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul uh, says the exact same thing yeah. uh, in regard to those who have uh, basically decided they're going to follow after uh, self. Yeah. And they're going to elevate self. Yeah, Romans they, 1. They, they will have nothing to do with God. And so there is that element of God's love as it is matched with his justice that requires judgment. Right. And I I just, as I observe things that are going on today, I just see that this is an element that, that many people have difficulty grasping. That And we've talked about this before, that God's love is not milk toasty. God's love is uh, demanding. Right, it's and, high demand. And he cannot tolerate and will not tolerate uh, wickedness in any form. Right. So we should probably leave uh, our discussion of this at this point um, as we're at the 30-minute uh, mark and uh, talk a little bit about uh, relationship. Now I cannot emphasize enough that this is uh, this is a really dynamic, important aspect of who we are because God created us to be relational, and so the relationships that exist are relationships that we need to ponder and we need to understand and we need to uh, want to seek change uh, in how it is that those relationships, particularly as those that are disciples of Christ. That can glorify him. And Josh was talking last week about the importance of understanding um, that while Scripture is limited uh, in its instruction specifically mm-hmm. about relationship as, uh, as commanding that uh, you do certain things, right. Scripture widely provides context uh, through descriptive of how it is that uh, uh, that is to be uh, lived out in a daily uh, way. Right. And there are two instances that we can turn to in the Old Testament to, to look at the gravity of, uh, of what happens when, when that relationship breaks down. Um, and we have stated, I have stated, and, and I think Josh generally agrees with me, that the the uh, responsibility for the direction of the relationship falls upon the uh, the father, 
falls upon the patriarch. We're talking about relationships between parents and children. So the the uh, the Old Testament instructs uh, the people of Israel that they were to teach their children uh, the things of God, teach their children about the character of God, teach their children about the ways of God, and that was to be an ongoing process, not you know not just not just given over to. Uh, you know, a specific time at 8 o'clock on Thursdays uh, for a half hour, we're going to talk about God. No, right. it was supposed to be an ongoing thing. <laughs> you know, when you walk, when you talk, when you eat, right. when you do all those types of things. So that uh, you would become saturated with an understanding of the character of God. So that was the command in Deuteronomy uh, in chapter 6 and then further on in chapter... Uh, 11, I believe it is, that uh, is given to Israel. Now, we have a descriptive example of what happens when those who are in positions of responsibility fail to carry that through. Mm -hmm. and, and that happens with the sons of Eli. And in the sons of Eli, 2 Samuel... 2 Samuel? 1 uh, Samuel, Samuel chapter 2. 1 uh, Samuel chapter 2. So in First Samuel chapter two, and it's it's an expansive passage, so uh, we won't read the whole passage. But the gist of it is is that Samuel is uh, a priest, and uh, or or no, 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 Eli, Eli. Eli. Eli <laughs> what, yeah. what am I saying? Uh, so, so Eli is a priest, mm -hmm. and Eli is charged with the responsibility of of uh, taking care of the, uh, the tabernacle of God. And he has two sons that he has raised, and so he's been a priest for a long time, and he's now an old man. But his sons uh, are on a rampage. Right. Like what Scripture describes is that, first of all, um, the, the way that the priests were provided for, so just for understanding, the way that the priests were provided for is that when offerings were given uh, in the tabernacle, the priests were allowed to, um, while the meat was being boiled and the fragrance was rising up to the Lord, the priests were allowed to stick their fort into the fork into the boiling pot and pull out some meat so that they could eat. Um, because they didn't have, the Levites didn't have land or or right. anything that they could care of. They cared for the house of God. And so they were allowed to uh, drop into that pot with a fork and pull out, and that's how they would get sustenance. Um, so that's kind of the, the flavor of what's going on. So when um, so what happened is, is that basically the, uh, the sons of Eli, and I... Can't or I can't pronounce it's Phineas it. and Hopney. Yeah, Phineas and Hopney. I feel bad for Hop. What a name! Um, I always think of them as Phineas and Ferb. It's a <laughs> cartoon and yeah, Disney. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, Phineas says uh, you know that's a good right. Uh, that's a good uh, Irish name. Uh -huh. um, but um, yeah, Phineas and Hopney. They have no regard for God and for the things of God. So much so that they began demanding that they get uh, the choicest cuts of meat before it was put to boil 
and uh, and before um, even that which was offered before God. Well, were they even able to? Were I don't. Were they even supposed to just stick their fork in there? I think they're they're only supposed to have very specific cuts. I think it's the breast and the thigh. They're not allowed to. Well, I was reading through it this morning, and as yeah. I was reading through it this morning, it said specifically that the issue that God had with them was they would stick their fork in and just get whatever they. They wanted. were taking things before it was even put to boil. Yeah, before they like whatever they wanted, yeah. basically. Yeah, but yeah. I, what I'm saying is, I think they actually were supposed to get like decent cuts of meat as the priests, but they they just wanted whatever they wanted when they yeah, wanted it. And and not only that, but they were they were whoring through the uh Yeah, the through temple the, through the temple. They were um you know having There were uh, there were there were people who uh like Samuel, for instance. Samuel was dedicated to to God uh for the temple, basically, and um he wasn't the only person who had that who had that vocation, if you will, in life, and there were, there were women basically right, that, that also were that, and the priest traded duties. Yeah, and Phineas and Hopney were sleeping with them, like basically making temple prostitutes. Right. So and and uh, so when when God brings judgment, He brings judgment on Phineas and Hopney to a degree, but guess who he really brings judgment on? Eli. Mm -hmm. And basically, the heritage of Eli, uh, when you get to the bottom, uh, I think it's uh, verse 36, when you get to the the, uh, judgment upon Eli, um, basically, God cuts him off. Right. And how shameful, how shameful. And Eli just kind of um, accepts it as a fact. Yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't. He didn't try to restrain his sons. He didn't try to keep them in line. Well, I think that that's. So when I brought it up last week, that was kind of the point I was making. Was it's a, it's a real interesting character study on parenting. Um, like you can be a person even in the church. In fact, this is what we see in the church a lot with church yeah, workers. Yeah. Um, but you can be a person in the church who is uh, in a position of authority or whatever. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a good parent, and it doesn't mean that your family is going to automatically follow God. And here you have an example of a man who raised his children up but clearly did not do right by them. And you you see that um, – I mean, I'd have to go visit the passage again. Let's see. It's second. Samuel. Second Samuel. Or first, first Samuel, uh, sorry. First Samuel but, chapter 2, verses uh, 11 through 36. But you can see in the passage, as I recall, that when he, when it's brought up to him, he, um, let's see, I believe that he, like, has to go and ask people about it. Uh <laughs> Well, he does ask people, but but he the, the scripture gives the indication that he he knew what was going on. He had heard things. Well, that's the point that I'm making is instead of talking to them about it, he's like, "Why would you do this?" I think that's what happened, right? I think that's what happens. Let's see. I should have come prepared. Um. Well, at least to make your point, yes. 
I'm I swear that that's what happens is he he basically says something to the effect of why would you do this um why would this happen and the but he already knew that's yeah. the, that's the thing and I think you have so many parents whose children are so far gone because the parent didn't take the time to even understand what was happening in their life and then they have the gall to stand before the judgment seat of God, whatever this judgment may be, the child, you know, gets into an accident, chooses, you know, to go in, you know, d down the wrong path with drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, you know, and judgment is occurring in this child's life. And their response is, why would this happen? Yeah. Yeah. And it would and happen because you're a bad parent. Absolutely. And, <laughs> like, and that's what it was. The, he did not raise them up in by the statutes of the Lord. Well, the thing that amazes and like me. Like you said, so, he knew. So if we if, if we extrapolate that forward, I mean, if you look at and look for this. if we look at uh, things that are happening today, we have several we have several major within the last two years, uh, three years, we've had several major issues of people that have made poor choices and have uh, ended up dying for it. And when, when the, 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 the media and everybody is getting all worked up over the consequence that they suffered uh, because of their actions, but, but when you listen to interviews with the parents or when you listen to interviews with the family, you know, they, they go like, you know, well, my, my son didn't deserve this. Yeah, he had some issues, but he didn't deserve this. And it's, it's just not true. It's just not true. If you, if you live a life of crime, if you live a life uh, where you're uh, destroying other people, and eventually you get caught in that, and then you die because of that, you are suffering the consequence of, of the choices that you've made. And yet I never hear parents say, you know what, I guess I failed my child and, and uh, he was doing things he wasn't supposed to. And I can tell you that that just frustrates me to no degree when I hear that uh, you know, when I hear that discussion on, on television, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, he says something to the effect, God says something to the effect, or the, the prophet that God says, says um, let's see. Let's see. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is, that's what it is. He didn't stop them. He didn't, he didn't put them in line when they were clearly out of line. He allowed them, um, you know, they acted in such a way uh, they were indulgent and uh, acting as if they were entitled, and he didn't stop and say no. Yeah, here it is, uh, 1 Samuel 2.22. Now, Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young woman who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? 
but Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already ready planning to put them to death. He knew. That's the thing. It's right. He did not train them up in the, ways, in the ways of the Lord. We're not talking about little kids here. No, no. We're talking about adults who were set in their ways. Eli knew what was going on, but the truth was was that he honored his children more than he honored God. Right. And his children took that and ran with it. And even when he knows that bad things are coming, he acts powerless to do right by them. Like, you know, like, you know, you got to stop this because you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this goes back what to. What is that? The, well, this goes back to the passage we alluded to that, uh, that uh, you know, you, <laughs> you indicated that I need to keep it in its correct context. The context of stoning a child that was... Yes, you do need to keep out, that in your correct context. The, the context of stoning a, a disobedient child uh, fits exactly with the sons of Eli. Uh, no, it does. Eli sure. should have brought those those boys before the, uh, before the elders, and they should have been stoned. Well, he should have not even let it get that far. He should have condemned them and removed them from... Oh, immediately. ...from the service of... The priesthood, yes, you know, and set them off aside so that they could reconcile, right, and come back. I mean, they probably would never be allowed to serve again, but they wouldn't be cut off and killed and so on and so forth. Right? They he, both no, he allowed it to go to the extreme. Yeah, he allowed it to go to the extreme, and then he had the gall to throw up his hands and say, "Why did this happen? Yeah, why right. are you guys doing this? They're doing it because of you, Dad." Yeah. yeah. What's that, Linda Cardellini? Uh, do. <laughs> Nobody would re- would know this in this generation. You might remember it. There was a ad. It was like a war on drugs ad where Linda Cardellini. Oh no, the, I'm thinking about the, and it's not Linda Cardellini. Wow, I'm thinking I'm mixing two things. There's the your brain on drugs. That's the first thing that happens with Alzheimer's. <laughs> you know, I'm less likely to have Alzheimer's than other people, but <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, no, there's there's the one with. The girl from She's All That, and she like scrambles the egg and like oh, yeah. fries yeah, it. Here's, and your, like, here's, here's your, your brain on here's drugs. Your brain on drugs. But right, that's right. not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the kid who his dad gets on him for like smoking weed or something, and he's like yelling at him, "Where did you get this? Where did you learn this?" And then the kid like gets frustrated, and then he looks up at his dad and he says, "I learned it by watching you, Dad. I learned it by watching you." Yeah. Well, I truth. mean, it's like a joke. It's but a cliche, it's but it's a hundred percent true. Yeah, but it's not. It's really true. Yeah, it's really true. And that's what what should have happened was Eli should have, you know, he should have fallen on his sword for his children, sacrificed for them and st- like stood by them when they were young and made the sacrifices. And then when they got older, when they were old enough to be held accountable for their actions, he should have let them be held accountable. Right. And the punishment for them would have been far less than, you know, than what eventually happens to them. And then he has the gall to, you know, stand before God. Right. So the the point of us discussing Eli Eli is because what we have here is we have a relationship of the father with his two sons, and the father clearly failed in his responsibilities towards his children, which had severe consequences, not only for the children, but consequences to himself as well as the rest of Israel. What's interesting about it is there's a there's a typology here. Uh, we won't get too far into it because I know it's not, not what we're talking about. But there's an interesting typology here 
for the children of uh, Abraham, and then God's like chosen. God like brings a new person into that mix with uh, Samuel. You know, it's there's a real interesting thing going on here. Um, the other person I wanted to talk on, uh, touch on briefly, as we've got a couple of minutes here um, before we close, is is uh, is um, David and his relationship with Absalom, and we can go. I mean, that's just so deep in sorted, so many ways. Very sordid. But, but, but what what re what prompted Absalom to eventually rebel against his father to the standpoint that he uh, led he led an open rebellion against his father is that he felt that his father um, was uh, was not willing to step up to the plate and to deal with um, the fact that one of his children. Uh, raped Absalom's sister, right? And yeah. and and David did nothing about it, right? And that begins, and so Absalom began to harbor against his father uh, the injustice which was present because of that, right? Well, and David, again, David had sort of, I don't know, I don't know if I would call it. Uh, the same response as Eli, but in both cases, both Eli and David, they were both really sad about it. From Eli's perspective, it was more of a, more of a, I don't understand how it got here because I'm dumb. Right. From David's perspective, it was, you know, this is my son and I'm, I'm super bothered by what's happened. <laughs> right. Um, but powerless to do anything. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so, so let's, at least this, this aspect of what we're talking about is important to understand that, that um, fathers, you have a, a direct responsibility for um, the progression of your children and how they grow up. And when you set parameters um, for them to understand uh, what it means to, to grow from being a child uh, into an adulthood through the uh, preteen teenage years, your responsibility isn't just that you tell them what they need to do. Your 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 responsibility is to show them through how your own life. So you live it, and then not only that, but you address honestly with, as Josh would say, some some vulnerability. You address honestly with them uh, the the transition, uh, the issues uh, throughout their transition that they go through right. as they enter into adulthood. Right, and you can't do that in a passive manner. Yep, it, it, you have to be actively involved. Yeah, you and you have to constant. You have to. The first thing is to well, the problem that you're going to run into is that a lot of parents really do view their parenting as ending rather than transitioning. Right. It, yeah. It, it ends at 18. Then the other problem is that a lot of parents never uh, they they the polarity of their parenting is always to return back to being single or um, or at least to the early married life before they had kids, you know, so. So basically what you have is parents who treat their kids as a responsibility to be shucked, you know, to right. I, I, I got to do right by this kid for now, but I'm not really uh, covenantly linked with this kid. What we have is basically a glorified social contract 
and um, if he leaves me alone, then I'll leave him alone, and you know I'll help him out when he needs it. And that's not really that's not really what Scripture says our relationship with our children should be. Yeah. So the the unbeliever, the person who's not a a believer, um, unless this was modeled for them by their own parents, I- unless there was involvement by, by the parents um, in their own lives and it was modeled for the, some of these things were modeled, then at least they have a fighting chant of, a, of understanding how they should be involved with their children. But, but, but that's far and few between from my experience. I know that it wasn't, <laughs> it clearly wasn't modeled for me. Yeah. And, and uh, if, if you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Christ, there, there are two things which, which uh, I would hold on to here. The first thing is, uh, if you are a disciple of Christ, you are a new creation in Christ. And all that stuff that went on prior to Christ, that's all buried, dead and gone. So you don't, as a new creation, you don't have to hang on to that bad stuff. You don't have to hang on to what your parents... Uh, did with you as a child um and so you can start new yeah in my in my counseling practice what i find a lot is that you have a lot of parents who do feel powerless as they watch certain things go on um even like toddlers you know they even in their toddlers they watch like you know what we would consider as adults bad decisions you know right um and they don't really know how to how to deal with with what's going on and uh, oftentimes what happens is those parents will say well you know i turned out okay they'll figure it out um and like i i don't really need to push push or create boundaries for my children and you know so on and so forth that's not really my role right um i turned out okay but if you push them and you ask them how would you want your child to grow up like, how would you want them to grow up? Would you want them to have the same relationship that they had with their parent, with that you had with your parents? Right. Then what you find is that pretty much unanimously, even even the parents who push back and say, I don't think that I should impose this upon my child because I want them to have what's best in life. You know, those are the same parents who turn around and say, you know, even though I was never showed the right way or or whatever, and I turned out fine that I also think that my child should have something different than what I had. And so there's this weird juxtaposition where you're where a lot of times people come at parenting and they're in the middle of the two where it's like on the one hand I wasn't trained and I turned out okay. And so I'm not going to take this effort with my children because um, I gave them a leg up by making them safer than I was, but I, I don't need to direct them. They'll figure it out on their own. Then on the other side, you have, I wish that my parents would have, or, or I don't want my child to have to wish like I did, that my parents would communicate with me about stuff. Um, and I think that is, that's really telling of the fact that people, and, and with non-believers too, people understand that there is a standard for parenting where a parent is somebody who cares to impose boundaries that's really what it comes down to. Sure, sure. Know? Well, that's how you, that's how you guide somebody is by 
uh, imposing those boundaries so that they stay within the lines that they need to as they as they journey towards a destination. We're going to end this discussion at this point to pick it up where we left off next week at this point where as we close our thoughts about um, the uh, this aspect of the relationship between parent and child, let's uh, end our session today with a couple of uh, what's up with that. Well, I got a couple of quickies here that are kind of interesting, and then maybe uh, maybe a bonus one uh, if we've got time here. So you know, um, in Australia, of course. So this would this would never happen here in the U.S., but you never know. You know how you go to the store and you buy uh, packaged uh, lettuce and sure. packaged what have you. Um, and Aust- I mean, we don't really do that, but yeah. An Australian food chain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some people bought a, a salad uh, from an Australian food chain. What did it have in it? A child opened it up. Mm-hmm. So mom said to the child, "Go to the refrigerator. Go open the salad bin. Yeah, get the salad uh, package. Uh, a poisonous snake was inside it. Was inside it. Was it alive? Yes, a baby poisonous snake. Wow." And they're trying to figure out how that happened. Right. I mean, I've never uh, heard of that. Happen I mean, I, I would, you know, one Rose and I have talked about going to Australia, but there are some elements of Australia that are just downright creepy. Yeah. And I, they got they got creepy crawlies and aggressive spiders and no, and in ants terms, and all kinds of they stuff. They definitely appear to be somewhat of a hell mouth. Yeah, it's 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 pretty dangerous. They're even there. down under. Yeah. Okay, moving right along. Hey. You know, I'm not a big fan of this. In what, fact, what happened to the child? Well, they he wasn't bitten. Mm-hmm. So, and they basically took it back to the food chain and they're investigating what happened. But wow. the fact that it was not that it got through. an adult who opened the package, but a child gives it validity that it wasn't a prank of some kind. Oh, I see, yeah. But somehow this really happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, you know, in California, there's a food chain that is called uh, Farmer Boys. Okay. And uh, they're, they, they're, uh, they're a hamburger, hamburger joint. Oh, they don't co-pack for Australia? No, they don't co-pack. They're, they, <laughs> uh, no, they're a hamburger joint, and uh, they are offering. So I know a lot of you young people here today, I, I don't condone this. I'm just saying that I observe. Okay. These things. All right. Um, but uh, for those of you that are into tats, if you go down. Da- yeah, meaning tattoos? That's right. Okay. If you go down and you have uh, their emblem tattooed on mm. your on your bod, uh, you will get one year of free hamburgers. Totally. Totally. I so, might do that, yeah. Yeah, so farmer, farmer boys. Can you piece that out, though? I, I don't know. Does it, like, is it only good for one year, or is it like... Basically, like, this is how much we think you would eat in a year, and this is how many times you get to have a hamburger. Yeah, break. see, I don't know. I mean, because you a, could piece that out for your oh, whole you life. Could. Yeah, yeah, you could. So, but yeah, so, you know, if you wanted like a farmer boys tattooed on your arm, or, and they do have a kind of a, a cool Studebaker truck type emblem or an old Chevy, try anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Just saying. Interesting. Uh yeah. Are they East Coast only? West Coast, California, West Coast. Never heard of them. Yeah. Let's check that out. 
Yeah, kind of interesting. Hey, you know, um, back in uh, 2012, I think it was, okay. Domino first started experimenting with uh, different methods of uh, delivering their pizzas. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is when and, they like and, almost died as a company, right? Well, they used, uh, I'm not sure about that, but in 2012, they were trying uh, with, um, uh, you know, the the flying. Uh, oh, the drones. Yeah, they were using drones. I remember that was a thing they were experimenting. They were experimenting. Yes, they were. And in 2017, they were experimenting with uh, uh, driverless cars uh, in cooperation with Ford. Okay. Uh, about uh, h- delivering pizza again. Well, they're carrying it one step further, and now they have uh, they have in in Texas, in Houston, Texas, you can order a pizza. It's in a particular area, okay. but you can order a pizza, and and uh, it'll be delivered by the Domino's pizza uh, vehicle, which is totally remote. What? So it's a driverless car. It's a driverless. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of like it. It's with an oven and the whole shebang, but yeah. Wait, it cooks the pizza there, or it just keeps, oh, it, keeps it, warm? it warm? Okay, yeah, I'm like, now that's a whole other game. <laughs> it drives around town. <laughs> you order from it. It's like a mobile food truck. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, well, that's I guess the next thing coming. Mobile. So Domino's, you know, they're automated trying to, food truck. There they're trying to, you know, work uh, make it work as to how it's gonna how it's gonna happen. Okay. Uh, pretty amazing. What's up with that? So I mean, we see this technological advancing taking place in a number of different places. I mean, clearly the Domino's food truck is the advent of the uh, apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. When okay. you see when you I'll see the dr- <laughs> the pizza drones <laughs> flying over the city, yeah, I t- run for cover. tell you to run, run for the run, hills. Run for the hills. Run for the hills of Judea. <laughs> That's right. As the as dominoes comes as the dominoes come falling down. <laughs> okay. No. Let's okay. let's close with this. Hey, I'll throw a bonus one in for oh, you here. Okay. In uh, Colorado, in in Castle Rock, Colorado. A little girl came in, and she was taught. They were. T- she was talking to uh, her mommy that uh, she saw a big cat in the backyard, and you know the five-year-old. Mm-hmm. And the mommy goes like, "Nah," you know. She said, "No, no, really, I saw a, a bobcat in the backyard." Wait, she knew we it were, was a bobcat. We were, yeah, she knew it was a bobcat. We're, we were. We were. The little girl was like, you know, we were talking with each other. And the parents going like, oh, no, 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 this is just fantasy thing. Guess what? They looked at the video that they had on, on the camera that was focused on the backyard. And there was a bobcat. There was a bobcat that came within inches of the girl. They talked to each they other. They stared at each other for about 22 seconds before the cat turned and walked away. Wow. The... That little girl, an Mount angel whisper, an angel was watching over that little baby because if that cat was hungry, she would have been dead. Or maybe it's the sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> uh, okay, yes, that's very possible. Producer Jasmine just rolled her <laughs> eyes. <laughs> okay, we're going to end our program with that one right there. All right, let's close out the show. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Olathe Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon. It's a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, which is a resource we develop uh, through our Project Vigilance group. Um, 
That's basically our group here at the church that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large, available 24-7. If you want to be a part of that group and what we're doing here, you can join Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, which will not be this weekend, correct? Yes, that's correct. Right. Culture Insanity, which will not be this weekend. Um, Our Weekly Sermons, which will be this weekend. Uh, Nightlight Radio, which just happened. Um, We just had an interesting discussion on pornography. Uh, I would check that one out. Um, That one will be back in a couple months. And um, you can comment and question in real time. And um, if you've enjoyed the Truth Time podcast, consider supporting us. You can see that we have all sorts of technical difficulties, (laughs) even in our new studio. Um, So, yeah, our networking (laughs) shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. And we can definitely use your help. If you head over to abfpdx.org, you can find out how to donate. Anything helps us. Remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, our Facebook, our VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit the group page so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. And remember that that content is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. And we will see you then. I am Pastor Josh, your senior pastor over at ABF. And this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio.